leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. On the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. All right, just to, again uh, to give you a, a sense of what it is we're doing together, we, we always like to remind folks that uh, what we are doing is theology. Uh, that is, we are wrestling with the deep questions of our, of our faith. That's what theology is. Theos, God, Logos, Word, speaking, thinking, talking, wrestling with the Word of God. Uh, and so uh, I just really value these opportunities to engage together in the context of worship, to step out of the regular rhythm of our weekly uh, uh, liturgy in order for us to think together uh, about uh, our faith. So uh, I'll ask Nick, I think you've got a timer you can throw up there to kind of make sure the time doesn't get away from us because it, it sometimes does. Uh, and, and we leave time for uh, sharing a Holy Communion together. So if you have a question, Brent is out there. Where did he go? Oh, oh he went he's way, to the way back, back like, there wow. for some reason. Um, and <laughs> he will come to you with a microphone. Uh, so be brave. Uh, we also have our Reformation door from Reformation Sunday, where folks wrote some uh, engaging questions. So if uh, I, I want to first give it to the room, if there's a question uh, from the room, otherwise we can turn to the door and we can address some of uh, the, the good uh, questions and comments that are written there. That was part of our Reformation Sunday worship experience. Brent, we expect you to run. Okay. Right. This week it's intervals. Intervals, yeah, yeah interval yeah. training. Here we go. That's do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's really doing it. This is a question that my father asked me um, several years ago, and I don't know the answer. I couldn't give it to him, so I'm going to ask you. Um, I was raised a Catholic, and the creed is the same pretty much for the Catholic Church as it is here. And in one point we say, and on the third day he rose again. My dad said, when did he rise the first time? Why did he rise again? Yeah, it's really just a semantic sort of peculiarity it's it, it simply means he rose uh, uh just a, a the again the again in our minds is redundant and i would agree uh but it's not trying to indicate that there was a prior rising simply that he rose again after uh, after having uh died you could say he's alive again yeah would be a better mm-hmm. yeah I never heard that one before. That's, That's a good here. question. I thought you were for sure going to ask the Holy Catholic Church. Is that what you thought she was going to say? Yeah, yeah. People yeah. always ask, why do we say we're not Catholic, one Holy are Catholic we? Church? <laughs> Big C, little C. Big C, little C. So Catholic meaning universal, not the Catholic Church down the street. Clara. Oh, Clara's helping too. Nice. All right. My question is kind of kind of piggybacks off that one, but um, you often hear, in a, I think one of the prayers is, uh, "He will come again." Um, so does that mean like a literal coming again, physical to the earth, like he did, or does that mean uh, metaphorically speaking or something? You know. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, did everybody, do we need to repeat that? Did everybody hear it? Um, Dan will come is, again to judge the living and the dead, right? Asked if that's a metaphorical or a real come again of Jesus. Yeah, so we do believe, uh, teach, and our, our theology is quite clear. Our confessional writings are quite clear uh, as they interpret the Bible that uh, all, of, all of history is moving toward a, a telos or a final, uh, uh, toward God's completion. Uh, and, and the promise is that, that Christ will manifest as part of that. Uh, and uh, when, when God brings things to a culmination, uh, and so we do, uh, and, and we are about to enter the season of Advent, uh, where it is a time of watching and waiting, not only for the birth of the Christ child, but also for the return of Jesus at the end of the age, is often the way the Bible puts it. So, uh, yeah, we believe that uh, we believe that there will come a time when all of the cosmos will be wrapped up in God's uh, uh, plan and intention and providence and grace, and that Christ, as Christ has been a part of that from the very beginning. Uh, for uh, as uh, John's Gospel reminds us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was whole Theos. The Word was with God and the word was God and and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory so as Christ was there from the beginning so shall Christ be there at the completion of 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 this whole cosmos um, so that is something that that uh, we believe also important to note it's not going to look like you know fire and earthquakes and people being like, hey, you know, there's been a lot of wars lately. I think that means Jesus is coming. Um, I think I, I did preach on this last week a little too, but it says over and over again in many gospels of which the day and hour we will not know. So our one of our jobs as Christians is to keep our eyes open, looking for those places where God is breaking in. We often talk about the brokenness of the world and how God's role in the world or one of God's actions in the world is to, to keep redeeming and renewing and, and fixing the broken parts of the world. And I think the time where Christ comes back, it will all be as it should be, you know, but we're just not there yet. That's always the, sort of the, the tension we live in at all times. <laughs> yeah, best not to um, develop your theology or your, your picture of what that time will come from by watching movies. I'll just throw that out. <laughs> so you're not going to find the answer or get a good picture of that from watching any movie. <laughs> During our Prince of Peace group life, when we were studying the Reformation of Martin Luther, we got to the Confession of Faith. And the part that says he descended into hell, we started thinking, gosh, why hell? <laughs> and then the next couple times I was in another church for different reasons, they said descended what? to the dead. And I'm wondering, I never had noticed a change before. Is there a significant reason? And what does it mean? Yeah, that's a great question, and it comes up often. 
And uh, actually, I sat in on the men's Bible study on Tuesday, and that question came up, and we discussed it for a while. Uh, there's a little verse in Second Peter where it talks about uh, where is it, the people sort of point to as the likely origin of that phrase in the creed descended into the language as a matter of translation whether we say uh, to the dead uh, which is what the way I grew up saying the creed uh, and then uh, or or hell and one of the things I shared at the men's study is to unpack this you have to sort of begin with your concept of of hell when you hear that word we all have a tend to have a sort of image and even a theology of what it is we think that means and related to the first question in my somewhat flippant response that theology as often as not comes to us from the movies or from you know Dante's Inferno or from some extra biblical source at the very least so this idea of hell uh, being some kind of physically located smoldering inferno of lakes of fire is kind of the imagery that tends to come to mind is it is it not right so where did we get that because we didn't get it from the Bible uh, the Bible does not have a, a, a well developed theology of hell certainly connected to that sort of popular mythology of this place so we have to kind of start there because when we're asking the question why would jesus descend to hell that place down below us filled with smoldering fiery lakes did he go down there and stand up on some a big rock and preach to everybody to say hey if you don't like it down here if you're tired of burning in lakes of fire you can go with me to heaven isn't that all just a little bit logically ridiculous like who would say nah I'm, I'm good you know this is fine I'm I'm a heat guy I hate the cold or what I mean who, who says no to that it, it, so it, the whole thing is just a, a little bit log, logically suspect so you have to sort of, and it takes a, a, a long time to arrive at how we get to some understanding of, of, of a sort of biblical, there's no real consensus in the Bible about hell. In fact, the word Hades sometimes refers to, uh, which gets translated as hell. Sometimes we use it interchangeably. You know, as an actual physical location in Israel, a smoldering gar garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. So in some cases, it actually is a, a place that scripture is sort of, when, when the people heard it, for whom the uh, biblical author was addressing, they, they're like, yeah, I know what he's talking about. It's that smoldering garbage dump out there, Hades. We've been there, you know. Um, so that's, this is a long sort of circuitous way to say in order to wrestle with the idea of Jesus descending to hell, we'd first have to start with what exactly do we mean by that? Uh, and theologically for me, uh, it, what it has, the, 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 the meaning of that phraseology in the creed simply means that there, whatever your concept of hell is, and here I'll say, if you believe that hell is this location where there are smoldering lakes of fire and people consumed in, in uh, 
some sort of unending agony, or if you believe that hell is something other than that, some sort of separation from God, whatever your concept of hell, what that phrase means to me is that there is no place one can go, past, present, or future, that is outside of the reach of the grace and mercy of Christ. So that Christ descending into hell is a way for us to say in our statement of faith, our ancient creed, that whenever you lived, however you lived, wherever you are located, Christ can get to you. And Christ will get to you. That's part of our creed. And that's how I interpret that phrase. What he said. Who wrote the Bible because it didn't just magically appear? True. <laughs> um, the Bible is a collection of different kinds of writing and from different people. Uh, some important things to remember when you're reading scripture is to ask first, what kind of writing is it? Who wrote it? And who are they writing it to? And then another question you can ask, or another couple of questions, is what were they, what message were they trying to get across? What was their purpose for writing? And also, what does this teach us about God? So I think if you, um, there's maybe a lack of, of being text critical in our culture. Um, that we just sort of take everything at face value, especially when we read scripture, and, and we just simply miss a lot when we do that. So, um, you know, to know, for example, uh, if you remember a month or two ago when we preached about the, the wedding banquet where the person you didn't have the right robe on, um, you know, got thrown out of the banquet, and you're like, wow, that's, that makes Jesus kind of a jerk, but the reality is everybody got handed a robe when they walked in, right? Knowing that little detail about the history changes how you hear that story, right? So... It's important to be, to, to learn those things. Who, who wrote it? Who were they writing it for? What were they trying to teach us about God? Because um, the Bible is, that's the goal of Scripture, is to teach us about God and who God is and what God is about in the world. And so I think if you kind of start with those questions, you do a, a good service to how you read Scripture. And important to remember, my little soapbox, no women wrote anything in the Bible, so there's a big section missing in my opinion, of perspective. Keep that in mind. We're missing stuff. Yeah, it's good to think of the Bible as a library. It's a library of books written at vastly different times in history by all kinds of different authors. And, and in a lot of cases, we don't know who the actual authors were. It was part of the ancient tradition to write in the voice of or on behalf of some uh, leader. So uh, the fact that it has, the book might have somebody's title does not mean that necessarily that is the person who wrote the book. Yeah, great question. Back there, bro. Claire's, Claire's got, got it. it. A continuation on the uh, question about the Bible. I attended a funeral at a Catholic church the other day, and they read the scripture from wisdom. 
and uh, which to me was a very, very nice reading. And uh, that's not included in our Bible, and, and I just wondered why there were so many uh, books that were part of the Bible at one time. It's not in the current uh, Lutheran Bible. Yeah, so um, the, uh, what is this called again? The Apocrypha? The Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. It's not the case that it once was in the Bible and then the Lutherans decided to take it out. It never was <laughs> part of the uh, canon of Scripture, the 66 books of, of the Bible, as defined by uh, the early church. So it, it's a fascinating uh, history of how we ended up with the, the uh, canon uh, that, we, that we have. And some books of the, of the Bible barely made it in. Well, I mean, this, the Bible is, is, the, is the church, the, the gift to the church, and the church is the, the, the keeper, the sort of steward of this, of this, of this gift, uh, living and active. Uh, so uh, some, you know, and the, Martin Luther, for instance, thought the book of James never should have made the cut. Well, he didn't get to vote. It was already there, so he had to deal with it. Uh, and so, but the apocryphal writings that are included in the Catholic Bible, uh, Roman Catholicism, uh, did not meet the standard that was set by uh, the early church uh, as it accumulated those scriptures that would be a part of the official uh, canon. Uh, there's lots of lovely material there to be found, to be sure, as you experienced. Uh, there are other extra canonical gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, and other writings where you can read wonderful, faithful stuff. It just didn't make the cut ultimately. And again, there are, there are brilliant biblical scholars who can, in a year's time, give you a, a good answer of exactly how we got the the scripture as it, it currently exists. But what I can tell you in a short answer is that the apocryphal writings that are amended into the Roman Catholic Bibles were not one once part of the Bible and then the Protestant tradition or some other expression of the of the Christian faith decided to remove them. That's not the case. It's the other way around. It's the yeah. other way around. The, cat, the Roman Catholic tradition decided to pull those in and make them part of the, of the canon. There's one called Bell and the Dragon. It's really awesome. It's about a dragon in the Bible. There you go. Who knew? It's my favorite. <laughs> so, well, what if someone sins in life and then asks God's for God for forgiveness and then he's forgiven and then he sins again multiple times in life? Will he still go to heaven? Yes. So you asked if someone asks for forgiveness for for doing something wrong, for sinning, and and then they go and do it again, and then ask for forgiveness again. Is that your is that no, your no? Doesn't ask for forgiveness again. Here, put put the microphone right close to you. Instead of asking for forgiveness again, just keeps doing it. Oh, so they just continue doing yeah. The thing wrong, but they're not asking for forgiveness anymore, but they did once. Mm-hmm. Is this, are you asking for a friend? <laughs> no. 
just came to mind. <laughs> oh, it's a good it's a good question. Raise your hand if you've asked for forgiveness and then done that same thing again. Yeah. What an honest group. That was great. <laughs> oh, I forgot to raise my hand. <laughs> Everybody but you. I was just, you know, inspired. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a really good question. So, as with hell and all the... What, all these big questions we have, we have to sort of start by thinking. We use theological terms and we think that we know what they mean. So we say sin, sin and we think we have an idea of what that is. So we move right on to the question or, or we say the word hell or evangelism or atonement or forgiveness. But if I make you stop and think about what you think that word really means. Then you have to start there and wrestle with that. So the first thing we have to do is wrestle with what we mean by sin. By what, is what we mean by sin like telling a lie? Uh, and then I ask, God, I know I lied. I shouldn't have done that. I pray for forgiveness. And I, and I hear the absolution. God forgives me. And then what do I do? I go and lie again. Is that sin? Well, I suppose that's, that's, Part of what sin is. But sin is also being part of a broken, fallen creation. It's something that that I, I can't get out. You know, uh, what do we say? Uh, we, we cannot free ourselves. I'm bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. I'm just stuck in it. It's part of who I am. So in that sense, I, I just need to continually believe God's word of forgiveness in my baptism and hear it again. It's why we continue to worship and gather and confess and hear God's forgiveness. Uh, uh, if, I, if I just keep lying after God says, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, marked with the cross of Christ forever. You're my child. I love and claim and forgive you. And I just keep lying. Does God finally say, all right, that's it. You've reached the end of my grace, the end of my mercy. We just, we just don't, we just can't say that. We just believe that God's mercy is one step beyond our brokenness. No matter how far I try to take my own sinfulness and brokenness, there I will find Christ as we respond to the very first question. He descended into hell. That's where all my lying ends up for me. Christ will come and get me. This is the good news. This news is better than we allow ourselves to wrap our minds around. This God in Christ is determined to come get you no matter how far you remove yourself from God. That's the gospel. The power of that gospel is stronger than your ability to reject it, run from it, deny it, fall short of it. That's the point. So this morning we hold out our trembling hands and we say, I'm not, I lied this week, I sinned. And God says, this is my body given for you, my blood shed for you. For what? For what? A forgiveness of your sins. And then I'm going to leave here and on my way home, something's going to bug me and I'm going to sin. <laughs> and God's not letting go of me, not letting go of you, not letting go of your friend.
That's it. Time's up. That's what happens when we throw the clock up. Thank you again. It's been a blessing. Uh, that seems like uh, 20 minutes goes by so quickly. We could continue doing it for the whole hour, but we'll, we'll gather together around God's gracious word and, and Holy Communion. And we thank you for being the kind of church that can step out of the norm once in a while and do theology together. So thank you. God bless you. If you want to continue conversation, we'll do it again next service. You can hang around. We never know what's going to happen. It will be different questions. So uh, for now, we will stand together and profess our faith in this. Oh, come to the altar.